Welcome to In the Movement Podcast, a podcast discussing all things happening in the credit union movement. Each episode will feature leaders talking history, current affairs, and how we can utilize our expertise to educate, communicate, and mobilize, all to better serve our movement. Here are your hosts, Chris Kem, Austin DeBay. Welcome to another edition of In The Movement Podcast. In this podcast, we continue our interview with Mountain West Credit Union Association Chairman Todd Marksberry, who is also the CEO and President of Canvas Credit Union in Colorado, and is the host of the podcast In The Room. Austin, in this second part, we're going to talk with Todd about the direction of our credit union moment and his influence of culture. And I know in, in the previous segment, we had to uh, like you mentioned, break it down into two parts because the conversations went so well. And unfortunately, I wish this part would have went longer because the rabbit holes that Todd takes us down is so intriguing as it relates to his career and, and where his mindset today, specifically with how his influence of culture is in his own organizations that he runs. Yeah, I agree, Chris. And I think one of the things we joked about Todd afterwards and then hearing back the interview is that this is definitely be somebody we need to go back to. There's so much, you know, even in the hour and a half that we spent uh, recording the entire interview, that there was still more we could have touched on. We could have gone another uh, hour and a half. So unfortunately for Todd, he's going to probably be asked again back. But in the meantime, we need to get to the second part. If you haven't listened to the first part, I, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that. But you can certainly start from here. So Chris, let's get to it. I'm going to divert a little bit. I know, Todd, you love the improvisation of these things. So I just wanted to jump back one thing on your podcast. What I found really fascinating is, is the concept of a balance between credit union people and Colorado people that are outside the industry. I think there's there's so much value. You know, I, and I'm saying as someone who comes slowly, not counting college or any sort of internships, that solely my professional career has always been in credit unions, but I completely value people that have thoughts outside of our industry. We don't have a monopoly on good ideas and credit unions by any means. And having the perspective of others is is such a fascinating piece of your podcast to me. With that said, in your 51 episodes, it's been, it's 51, right, Todd? Yep. Have you noticed there's something uniquely credit union CEO-ish or is there just you know, a range of people, no matter which industry? I'm I'm just curious if there's a difference that you notice. A difference that I notice in the people? Yeah, yeah. From you know, if a CEO of a of someone you know outside of credit unions versus a credit union CEO, you know, when you're even just like when you're approaching the podcast in general, is it um, is it just a different feel if it's a CEO outside of credit unions, or or is it just you know? Oh, you know, there's some significant differences, but there are absolutely some common denominators. When you have a conversation with a good leader. And somebody, what I mean by that is, is somebody who really understands, and, and you guys alluded to it, that whole concept of, of others before self. And they understand, you know, hey, I've got to get that, you know, I've got to roll up my sleeves and, and really, really work hard. When you talk to, it's interesting, many CEOs of credit unions who we talk with, they have a great story, right? Nobody jumped. It took me 22 years. I don't know if you guys knew that. It. it took me 22 years to become a CEO. I did. It didn't happen like right away. My first gig was a CEO of a credit union. 22 years and 22 years of being an auto advisor who talked about credit life and disability warranties and learned about 
auto lending. And then I learned a little bit about credit cards. And then I learned about HELOCs and mortgages and things. And then I went up to Delta and, and I learned about the whole operational side of things, marketing and human resources and IT and finance and, you know, learned about what a 5,300 call report, little inside baseball is and things like that. But in all those conversations with the CEOs of credit unions, the, the men and women who are leading those credit unions, they all have a great story. And all of them have a similar story. None of them started here. And so there are some things that's just really interesting to talk to them and hear how they feel about why they are, where, where they are now, now that they're sitting in the CEO seat, they're like, oh, it's not about me. <laughs> it's, it's not about my title. It's not about the money that I make as a CEO. It's not, nothing about that. And interestingly, over on the, on the entrepreneur side, these business um, owners, these founders of companies, similar, they all have great stories. They're a little bit different, right? But the really, really good ones and the really successful ones and successful, not it's, a lot of times it translates to financial success, but successful in terms of they found their joy and their passion. It's the same thing. You'll hear them say, it's about serving my team or my family, or they'll give credit. Uh, you know, and I'll say I, a, a common question. I, hey, tell me, brag about your team. Man, you see them light up, you know, and they're like, oh, my gosh, thank you for asking. I, let me tell you about my team. And so I think whether it's credit union, uh, you know, a credit union CEO or on the side, a founder of a company, there's some definite uh, similarities. The only difference that I'll see sometimes is that on the credit union side, you have a, in a lot of cases, you have a, a little more infrastructure. And over here, you'll hear them talk about, you know, put a second mortgage on my home because I ran, I had to make payroll, you know, and you hear stories like that doesn't happen too often over on the credit union side. So there's some differences, but at the heart of it, you'll just hear that that heart of a leader, the servant leader, and certainly founders of companies. I mean, unless you own Facebook or Amazon now, most of those people they're still very very focused on you know their passion and their heart for their people and serving others. Yeah, and, and that that's I love that. It's like the common denominator is the passion of what what really drives many CEOs, whether you're in the credit industry or not. I mean, I think if it wasn't for the passion for some of the most wealthiest CEOs in the in the country, they would have sold out their stock and just retired on some beach. There, you know, even even you say Facebook, but even if you're Mark Zuckerberg, why would you still be doing it if you at least didn't have some sort of passion behind what you're doing? Uh, people can argue whether or not what he's doing is good or bad, and I'm not here to do that. But you know what I mean? Like you could really, you know, I always think to myself, if I ever got that level, would I still have the passion and drive? And obviously there, there is, it takes someone special to be able to do that. And then, so whether you're a credit union person or a for profit, but as our chairman, you're the chairman of the association, you uh, served in a leadership role at the Georgia uh, league as well. Um, so you, you definitely are somebody and you use the word thought leader, but you think outside of, of yourself, you think outside of even Canvas Credit Union, you, you look at it as the industry as a whole or the movement as a whole. And so I just wanted to get your perspective on, you know, where we are right now as an industry, where do you see us going? Where do we fit in the financial services marketplace in the future? Sure. That's a great question. So, you know, it's interesting. I've seen these different seasons within our industry. And as I said, I'm working on my 28th year. When I finally became an advocate, and started to learn. And, and, and I really, that accelerated once I got to Georgia and I started working for Delta and being the largest credit union, we had had some really significant success 
in those first couple, three years of my time there. And I started to be asked to participate with the league, with the trade association um, as the largest credit. And I think I was the only, every other board member, whether it was through our service corp or through the, the, uh, uh, the trade association side or the foundation side, for the most part, they were all CEOs. And, and but we were, the, because we were the largest credit union, I was the, the oftentimes the only non-CEO, right? But it gave me a great, I was in the room, man. I got, I got to be in the room with a bunch of CEOs, but it gave me, a, it was a really great education as how things were going and what was going on behind the scenes within our movement, if you will. And it was interesting because it was really, that's where I learned about we're a member-owned not-for-profit financial cooperative. And I learned about the cooperative side of things and the collaboration. And we all back in that day, you know, a couple decades ago, we were all working together with CUSOs and creating CUSOs for insurance and you name it. We were coming up with all these ideas and using what the NCUA would allow us to do for these other business ventures. And it was really cool because it was it, it was a little bit of wild, wild west and we were all working together. And so you might have a CUSA that had, you know, Delta, the largest credit union in Georgia, working with some other larger credit unions, but some small credit units, right? And we were all friends. But it was interesting that the next season, as soon as some of us, and at Delta as an example, we only we were single sponsored and we just served Delta Airlines. And then Delta Airlines, early 2000s, they went through bankruptcy like the other major airlines. And um, we went from 80,000 employees that are sponsored to 40,000 in about a six month period of time. And suddenly we were as a $2 billion credit at that time. We were like, ah, I think we might need to diversify our portfolio and maybe serve some other people uh, or we're in big trouble. And we began to serve Metro Atlanta and we began to build branches. Literally, we were $2 billion credit and we only had one publicly accessible branch. And suddenly we had to serve the community. And I tell that story, guys, to say that as soon as we started building branches, I learned Ah, we're, because we're the largest credit union, cooperation changed a little bit. Suddenly people were like, not so happy that Delta, that we were doing a sponsorship for a football team out in some community. And I got a call from a guy and it was a teacher's credit union, super good dude. He's still running his credit union, does a phenomenal job, but he called, he was mad, man. He was on the board with me. What are you doing? I can't believe you. You gave money to that school. I'm, I'm the teacher's credit union. I'm like, well, are you going to give him money? He goes, no but you can't give them money either. And I'm like, that's not how it works, man. And it began, I saw a fracturing, if you will. There, there was a little bit of tension and I saw people, the way we were working with one another changed. And then I, you know, and then I left and I came here and, and I have just unbelievable friends, men and women who are leading credit unions here in uh, Colorado and, and who are just uh, unbelievable. And there's good friends in Arizona, good friends in Wyoming. And uh, we work really, really well together. Uh, but what I've seen in our industry is, guys, that you know we're looking, we're not necessarily looking at competition-wise at the credit union down the street. We're looking at Wells Fargo and other folks, right? And, and so we haven't been working, in my opinion, with one another as much over these past several years. Interestingly, COVID hits and suddenly we all start working together again. It, it was like a blessing because... And you guys know, you've heard me say it. We, I've been on these Zoom calls and it was early on when I'm on these calls that you guys would set up with 75 other CEOs in Arizona, Colorado, and Wyoming. 
and we're all sitting and everybody, we don't know what we don't know. And we're like, ah, you know, who's going to, you know, who's, what are you guys going to do? Are you going to close your branches? And, and I'm suddenly getting in the chat box over here, like messaging to me that are saying, Hey Todd, where did you guys get your masks? Where did you get your hand sanitizer? Wait, Hey, what are you going to do if somebody gets te test, you know, and we began to, and, and, and it was awesome because all of us, it didn't matter the size. We started working together again. It was the craziest thing. And I remember as the chairman of the trade association, I even called it out about two months ago. I said, guys, this, I'm going to soapbox for a minute. And I'm going to probably get weepy when I say this, but I'm super proud to be a part of this crazy, weird family of credit unions. I said, we're finally working together again. And, and we're not worried about the size of the credit union, you know? I as you know, Canvas, we're the third largest credit union here in the in in the state. And smaller, much, much smaller credit unions were messaging me and saying, Hey, can 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 I talk to your people on this thing and this thing and this thing? And and we were back to that whole, hey, can I take a look at your guidelines or your policies that you guys have created? We were like, Absolutely. Are you kidding me? And and so I think that it's prompted all of us to begin to work with one another again. And I, and, I, and I sure as heck, I told everybody, I said, shame on every one of us. If we all get on the other side of COVID and then we stop working with each other again, it, it'll be terrible. I'm glad you said that because I know we've seen as a staff on our on our association side, you know, we're blessed every day to see across the, the movement, our family, our cooperative friends, what everyone's struggling with. And COVID really made us grasp what our structure was meant to be. And when I talk about that, you know, Dr. Likens from Western CUNY Management School, something that stuck with me a long time ago. I, I have not attended, but I've listened to a lot of his, his dialogue and, and conversations. He mentioned the day we start losing our sponsors, as you mentioned, our SEGs, you know, of, of, our, of our credit unions, and the more community-based we become, the less cooperative we are. And at that time, I was probably seven, eight years into serving our credit unions. And that was the one thing that stuck out with me more than not was when credit unions were more community-based, they were literally, and this wasn't just in, in our region, this was across the country, you know, throwing up billboards, trying to compete against each other. And with the hundreds and thousands of conversations I've had with staff over the years and having my interactions with different credit union leaders, it was apparent to me that the more collaborative we become together, the more things come out on the best behalf of everybody. And when COVID hit, it was interesting to see, uh, you know, our average was about 78 to 85 credit unions, somewhere in that range where we would have average on those calls. But at our peak, we were 117, 118 people on those calls. What can we do next to, to make sure we're still serving our members? We're still serving our staff we're still make sure we're taking care of our family and, and how can we best ease the, the financial impact to our consumers and our community. That was the beauty of everything that that came together in all this. Um, and, and the one thing that I've always appreciated about our credit unions, and I think this is how we define our movement as we go through and people understand what movement means, everything that you guys do directly impacts our community. And you have your personal family, you have your credit union family, and you have your community family that you serve. Um, and, and whether that be on the I-25 corridor or, or across the region. So I wanted to really say 
thank you to that because that that really helped us, particularly as staff. We have a lot of ways that we want to drive things, but until everyone's in the room, you know, going back to your podcast, tell everyone's in the room talking about how things impact folks. We can't get nowhere if if no one's willing willing to help. And I I, I do say this lovingly, but the day we stop chasing and competing with each other, the better off we are. The credit unions is a movement. If we go after 1% of the total availability, we couldn't handle that growth as one. So there's a lot of growth for credit unions in the near future. Agreed. Yeah. You know, I, I get a little goosebumps when you're talking about that moment in time. You know, it was a, it was a pretty uh, stressful time, but I think when I look back upon this part of, from the career side of it, it will be a very rewarding time because I, I, I truly do feel that there was, there's just a different sense of community within our credit unions right now that didn't exist or would might've been in the back seat prior to COVID. And to hear you say that, to be able, as the association, to provide that value to our membership is very, uh, you know, very rewarding. And I just, I remember, I don't know exactly who or the situation, but I do remember early on, there was a credit union that needed some resources because of some employees that uh, might've been exposed. And during that call, a credit union stepped up and said, Thank you to, to you guys because you were one of the first to step up and, and offer and assist that credit union in their time uh, when that was a little bit more challenging. So, you know, that, that's just the beauty of our, our movement. I agree. You know what I was going to say, Austin, you made me think. Another cool thing about having during this COVID time and, and when we began those, those calls is it, it, interesting. And this is my observation in, the, in my first four and a half years in this role and, and being on the, on the board before I was chair. I always told people, they were like, hey, how are you guys? You're a regional. You have Arizona, Colorado, and Wyoming. And, I, and how's that, how does that work? And, how, and I was like, oh, they're really good people. Well, you're on the board. You know, what are you guys doing? And I said, listen, it, here's the thing that with a regional, I said, it, it's a little bit challenging because when we're talking about advocacy, it's usually, if it's not on the federal side, and you guys know this all too well, I said, if we're in, in a board meeting, sometimes you're like, okay, well, I'm listening to what's going on in Arizona, but that really doesn't impact us legislation-wise, what we're doing in Colorado, and vice versa, you know, as far as here in Colorado or Wyoming. And I said, so we all talk and we all get along really, really well. It's good people. I said, but oftentimes, or sometimes, we, we don't have common interests if it comes down to our individual states. And COVID changed that. Suddenly, we're on the call. And what we were talking about, there were things that we all we were all contending with on a you know an equal playing field, and again it began this whole collaboration thing where it crossed state lines, right? Our good friends, you know, with Stephanie up in up in Wyoming and David who's up there at Unawayo and and Jay and 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 Alan and all the folks down in Arizona. You know, we were all talking about things. We we're like helping one another, and again, that's another one of those things that I that I hope stays. You know, it's here to stay. It's kind of like the old days. You know, let's go back to the old days. There were some really good things, and I'm I'm really hopeful that that will will continue to keep those common interests and in the you know collaborating over common interests alive. You know, over the years, listening, not everyone gets to listen to the the board as they go through different decision-making processes. A lot of times when we're talking about different things that impact credit unions, it's great to hear because not everyone is pervy to these conversations. 
it's great to hear leaders like Doug, yourself, Mike Williams, Brian Robacher up north, Kim, Kim, Kim's going to kill me, <laughs> uh, Kim uh, from Meridian Trust. Uh, why am I forgetting her last? Kim Withers, my goodness. Sorry, Kim, if you're listening to this, you know I, I love you. But listening to you guys talk about, that may not affect us, but if it helps our credit unions grow and serve their members, let's get behind something. And I think you just talked about that. And, and COVID really forced our hand at, at doing that, but it brought a lot of that collaboration back. But this kind of leads into something I, I meant to ask you earlier. Being around you, you seem like you're very high on culture. And I want to talk about your influence of culture and your philosophy on how you trying to get your culture. Because everyone at, at Canvas, I have a former player that's one of, that works on one of your branches. And, you know, I get to ask her on the side, hey, what do you think about your leadership? And you talk about in your podcast, you talk about the, your curiosity credenza. That, that hit me on how does this translate? How does it come down to you? And she was very forthright on there doesn't seem to be these layers that you would see at other organizations. It's, it's a very fluid organization from top to bottom. And, and no one fears talking about things that help serve our, our memberships or what something might help a process in a credit union. I really want to hear your influence of your culture and your philosophy behind that. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I said to the team when I came five and a half years ago, and our, our folks hear the story over and over again, I, I get a chance to talk to our new employee orientation group I have for five and a half years and get to unpack sort of the Reader's Digest version of our story at Canvas and, and, and most importantly, the past five and a half years. I always tell them one of the key things is I said, we work really, really hard. We want to be known for our people. And I said, and I tell them a lot of things that leads up to that, but I told them, and I still tell them all the time, I said, listen, we're, we're credit and I, and I feel very passionately and strongly about what we do to help people afford life so that they can go live. But at the end of the day, checking account is at a checking account. I can't make it any sexier. I'm not going to create some incredible checking account. Everybody will come do business with Canvas because we have the most awesome checking account in the world. I said, we can't be the low cost leader. We're not Walmart. We can't sustain that. It's not sustainable. That's not how we're going to get people to come and do business with us because we're the cheapest car loan. I said, so we have to have good products and services. We have to have very competitive and fair pricing. We have to be convenient, online banking, mobile branches, comm center. We have to be secure. We have to help them move money very, very quickly. It has to be easy to do business with us. I said, those are table stakes, guys. Those are table stakes. I said, what is going to make us different? Our people. I jokingly say it. They, these guys are sick of hearing me say it for five and a half years. I, I, I said it back five and a half years ago. We're gonna, I said, I want to be the Chick-fil-A of financial services. And everybody's like, oh, where's the guy from Atlanta? Chick-fil-A. Here we go. And I said, yeah, I listen, Chick-fil-A sandwich. I'm a freak on Chick-fil-A. I know where every Chick-fil-A is there in, in Colorado, right? I had Chick-fil-A last night, by the way. Chick-fil-A. I love the waffle fries. I love the sweet tea. I love the lemonade. I love their cookies and cream milkshake. I love all stuff. I said, but guys, it is not the cheapest. It, it, it actually is probably the, the most expensive fast food place you can go. But the thing is, is the food, the quality is top notch. I can go to Topeka, Kansas, Bakersfield, California, or County Line over here in Lone Tree. And, and if the quality is going to be the same, I said, but what sets them apart is when you're driving in a summer and you pull up at lunchtime and there's a, there's a line all the way around the Chick-fil-A and you see those kids 
They're sweating profusely. They've got their headset on. The heat coming off the blacktop is crazy. And you pull up and they smile and they're, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, my pleasure. And you think, you scratch your head and go, where did they find 17-year-old kids that nice? I don't know how they do it. I don't know. I said, but the service is off the charts. And I said, you can come into a Chick-fil-A two months later and say, you know, I went through the drive-through two months ago and you forgot my waffle fry. And they don't ask you a single question. They, they give you a number one meal coupon, right? No problem. We got you. I said, the service is incredible. And one story that I would tell that, that tells you everything about Chick-fil-A and why I want Canvas people to feel this way, similarly about Canvas, I was going to lunch with, as you guys know, Steve Ferrero. This is about two years ago, and it's down here at the county line, and it was packed. And so we went inside. And we're having lunch and I'm looking and I see outside of the window, a homeless guy. And I, everybody who's walking in, you, you know, this scenario, everybody's walking in there. Everybody's unnerved. They're all like, Oh my gosh. And you see them walk in and they're all, we just had to scoot by this guy. And so, and I'm sort of watching and I'm talking to Steve and we're doing a little one-on-one over Chick-fil-A. And the next thing I know, I look out and I see the lady who is apparently the general manager she walks out and she's got a couple bags and she walks outside. She walks across the parking lot. He's sitting now on this little burn and she sits down beside him and opens up the bag and sits down and fellowships with him. It gives him food and is sitting and talking when everybody walking into the place is freaking out because this home, this homeless guy is going to bug me. She walks out with bags of food and sits down. That doesn't give it to him. Sits down. And, and breaks bread with it. And I'm like, that's Chick-fil-A. <laughs> that's Chick-fil-A. And I tell those stories and say, I want to be the Chick-fil-A of financial services. Meaning, I want people to tell those kind of stories about Canvas. And they walk into a branch, they come out and they say, oh my gosh, you have to go to our Broomfield branch. I dealt with this guy, Austin. And oh my goodness, he's just incredible. Well, was it the cheapest car loan? I don't even know what the break was. I don't know. He's just awesome. He was great. You got to go do business with Austin at Canvas. And that's how I want people. That's the feeling. I want people to feel that way about all credit unions, right? I want them to go, holy cow, why would you go do business with Wells Fargo? I have no idea because every time you go into a branch at Horizons North, it's incredible. Those people are incredible. Don't go anywhere else. You're a knucklehead if you go anywhere else. I, I say this all the time. The culture is everything, my friend. Relationships, you know, when you build relationships with people, they go a long way. I know I've stuck with my credit unions as my primary financial institution because of my relationships. The process by which we we create those, uh, that speaks high to you. And it speaks high to your team because many folks in our, just our movement wide, when they have any inter- interaction with you guys, it's top notch. And, and we appreciate that. And, and I thank you for touching on that. Yeah. One, and I just, one last thing I was going to say, Chris, is, we talk about that, but what is really at the heart of that for our people, what we preach to them is, again, it gets back to this concept of others before self. We just, we're like, look, we're here. Our members own the credit union. Our job every day is to serve them to the best of our abilities, to sit and listen to them, understand how we can help them afford life so they can go live and serve them, serve them, serve them. And very importantly, the, the way you get there is that you create an environment where it's about serving our our Canvas family, our team, serving one another, 
it's amazing how when you preach over and over again, others before self. And, you know, I always say, hey, man, if you want to be a canvas, you have to really like people. And if you don't like people, you're probably going to stick out like a sore thumb. You might not want to stick around in canvas because we love people who love people. And we love people who care deeply about serving our members, serving one another as a team and serving our communities. And if that's something that resonates with you and you, you care deeply about that and you care deeply about busting your tail to do that, this is going to be a phenomenal place for you. You're going to have unbelievable opportunities to grow and be really gratified in, in the work that you do every single day. And so we fight for that culture. It's, it's something that happens on the front end in terms of recruiting and kind of hearing people. I always joke and say, something you must have said to the new employees, something you must have said to the recruiters resonated with them. And they're like, ah, Chris, he's good people. We want to have him come and, and work with us because it's like a family. You know, I don't let everybody there's some family members I have who I wouldn't want to come and work for Canvas because I care so deeply about Canvas. Uh, they would, they don't, they don't share the same values in terms of serving others. But it is something that's really, really, we're very passionate about it here at Canvas. Yeah, you know, Todd, I can even attest to that from how your culture has has led the working relationship between the association and your team because when we kicked off this podcast, I mean, and and you listened to a few episodes and some of your staff did, you were immediately quick to touch base, give us the feedback that we were desperately seeking. And not only that, but just offer the resources on your staff to, you know, brainstorm some, some ideas further. And that is something that is just completely impressive. You know, a lot of people, if they're not saying anything about us, then, you know, to me, that means that we're not doing enough. And the fact that you and your team were willing to give us feedback and make, want to make this podcast better really does go exactly to that philosophy of doing stuff beyond, you know, just doing your job. You're, you guys go above and beyond with us as well as you do with the community at large. Well, you know, it, we feel very blessed. And with that comes an obligation. We, we have an obligation. We feel an obligation to, to, in turn, bless others and, and, and serve others. So it, it's thank you for saying that. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. And 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 thank Tansley. I know if, if she is listening, that she'll probably be a, a someone that we ask for a future podcast because I know she's, you know, that one might be a two or three hour podcast because she's got quite the knowledge. Yeah, she's not very expressive. So <laughs> I have to pull that out of her. <laughs> you mentioned Chick-fil-A and you've mentioned Delta Airlines. So I got a couple questions as we kind of, I want to touch on a few personal things, but I, if you had to choose between Home Depot and Lowe's, I think I know what your answer would be here as well. Well, no, you're probably wrong. Uh. I would go with it. Back in the day, it would have been Home Depot being in Atlanta, uh, you know, living in Atlanta for 17 years. I think, I think Home Depot, uh, probably about Eight, 10 years ago, they kind of got off the rails a little bit on the customer service side. I remember going in to Home Depot's and I could never find anybody, right? I'm like, I need somebody. I, I need to know where the screwdrivers are, you know, and it's like, you could never find it. And, and I think that they, they became too big for their britches. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was actually watching something on them. They they gear their more towards the contractor side, even though they have the retail side. And then Lowe's is more of a, you know, retailer is their more emphasis. That's why my answer changed. Ah, I thought you was a good old Georgia boy. Lowe's, in my opinion, they focus more on on the individual, you know, a homeowner 
and they do have enough people in that. And I think Home Depot's kind of watched that and go, crap, we kind of screwed that thing up. <laughs> so they're catching back up. But but Lowe's, is, I also think Lowe's is actually a little cleaner inside their stores, I, just in my opinion. So the prices are all the same, you know, that and all the, all the products and services are the same. But, uh, you know, they uh, Home Depot broke my heart a little while ago, you know, a few years back. And I begrudgingly went over to Lowe's. So anyway, now, now it's just a matter of where, where, when I'm in Castle Rock, which is where I live, you know, if I'm closer to Home Depot or I split the business. So what about if you just need a little caffeine boost and a little sugar with it, are you popping a Coca-Cola product or a, a Pepsi product? I'm popping a Mountain Dew. All right. Well, you're Pepsi. Yeah. Well, I'm a Diet Coke guy, <laughs> but I've had two Mountain Dews since we've been talking. <laughs> I've had two cups of coffee. So some sponsorships here for us. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we haven't thought about that. Sponsorships for our podcast. Let's get together on that. So I know we've gone a lot longer than we had anticipated, but it's it to me it's it's been worth it, and I, I really do appreciate it. But I, I, I did promise I wanted to jump back on to something you had said in the beginning, and you talked about your career as a musician, and I, I would just be interested to know a little bit more about that. What where uh, I think even your bio says that you uh, are known to dance for your staff or perform for your staff. I, I don't got the quite wording of it off the top of my head, but obviously you have an entertainment background, so I'd just be curious a little bit about that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I think we needed to revise that bio. <laughs> so I, I actually grew up in a, in a musical household. And, and when I was in college, I went to college. Chris said, I, I actually went to Eastern Kentucky University. And I went to run track. And, and so I was uh, on the track team. I was in the school of business. And then also all my electives, uh, because I was a singer, I was in the in the musical theater department and sang in, in all the groups and did a work show choir and stuff. And it was kind of like the fun thing to do for my electives. But my sophomore year in college, funny enough, I had been going back. I went back my freshman year to work at this landscaping company. I grew up working at, at since I was like in eighth grade. And by going in the sophomore summer, one of my good friends over in the musical theater department, and they were all, they all live in New York now and did Broadway and stuff. But She's like, what are you going to do for the summer? And I said, well, I'm going to go home and work at the landscaping company. She's like, well, Disney and all these guys are coming through the university and they're going to have auditions for summer shows. I'm like, really? She, she's like, yeah, you should you should audition. I'm like, do they pay you? She's like, of course they pay you. It's a summer job. I'm like, oh, cool. And I ended up auditioning for and, and was hired by a company that did a 50s show up in, at a, an amusement park called Darien Lake in Buffalo, New York, Corfu, New York, to be exact. But I, so I went up there in the summer. I'm like, I'm going to get paid to sing and dance. What the heck? And so I went up there and uh, did that 50 show and just had a blast, just had a blast. And I went back to school in the next, next summer. I was still in school. And next summer they came through and I was hired by uh, to do a show up in Cincinnati, Ohio, at a place called Kings Island, a, a big amusement park. And I did that. And, and funny enough, at the end of that summer season, that same company created shows for the U.S. Department of Defense, USO shows. And they stayed at the end of the summer like, hey, would you want to go do a USO show over in Europe? What? I got to go back to school. And they're like, well, you can't go to school in the fall. You have to if you want to do this. And I'm 
I remember telling my dad, my dad was like, no, 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 no. You need to go back to school. You'll never go back if you do this thing. I'm like, no, dad, of course I will. So I took the gig and I traveled all over the Middle East and Turkey and Europe and, you know, went to all the, the, where we have uh, U.S. bases all over Europe and then went back to school in the spring. And then that following summer, I rinsed and repeated. I did a show and then they asked me to go over and do another USO show. So by that time, when I fit, I was about ready to finish school, my, my goal, Austin, was to get, I was going to get a degree in marketing. I was going to go back to my hometown up in Northern Kentucky. And I was going to go work for Procter & Gamble. And I was going to conquer their advertising world at Procter & Gamble. And I was getting ready to graduate. And I got a call from a production company. And they said, hey, would you, we want to hire you for the next year, put you on a year contract and have you travel around the, the country and, and do shows for big corporations. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, Procter & Gamble can wait. So I went on ahead and did that. And I ended up for the next several years, that's what I did. And, and I lived in New York and I did some Broadway shows and cruise ships and, and bands and different. I, I was just a working entertainer and try, got a chance to, I think I went to 40 countries to perform. So, and then, as I said, had a, a son and then I'm like, I need to actually get a real job. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's what I did as an entertainer. Isn't the interesting thing when you did all that, the perspective in life you gain when you travel all those different places and all the different people you meet. And you talked earlier about as you see things and you work through things, you learn how you can deal with different things as you go through. The perspective that you gain out of that is incredible. My journey was in entertainment. I had, I was in the service probably visiting a lot of those countries and I probably watched at least 20 or so USO shows when I was deployed and it was something we look forward to, but uh, the perspective you gain interacting with everybody is just incredible. Yeah. And it was, it was hard work too. We would do, I remember, so I got a call one time from my agent and said, Hey, there's the Broadway show Greece and the Kaniki, the person who's doing Kaniki got injured. And can you come in and fill in for the next three months for the part of Kaniki in Greece? And, and I, and they called me and they're like, we need you by this Saturday. So you would fly into to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and you'll rehearse for uh, two days to learn the show. So as an entertainer, that's, as a performer, that's what you do. And so I remember I went to the, to the rehearsal studio in Fort Lauderdale and, and for the next two, I think it was 19 hours a day, learned the choreography and the singing role and the acting part, and, you know, the lines and everything. And, and then, and it was on a cruise ship and boarded the ship in Miami that, that Saturday. And that next night on Sunday night did my first show. So I had like two and a half days. And that's why when I see like Broadway performers and, and, and they bust their tails, man, they, they are incredible. And if you can learn a show in about 36 hours, some pretty talented people. Yeah. And talk about a diverse group of people just with monster hearts. If I could hire a bunch of people from Broadway right now to come work for Canvas, I think we would do that. Todd, we've taken up a lot of your time, and I, I truly do appreciate it. You know, going back to one thing we talked about was how during this time, and, and we're still, uh, when we are producing this podcast, it is still in the middle of COVID, more towards the end than, than anything, but is the fact that, you know, we have got to know our credit unions even better. I hope our credit unions have got to know us better and and 
this is just a great example. This podcast, I, I I've learned so much about you as a person, you know, just having this conversation itself. The one thing you don't know about me is in this podcast, I am sitting in a room with blankets because the sound quality has been so bad on my end that I, I got blankets covering. Uh, it, it's a, it's like a fort, but <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but I just wanted to, because I feel like I, I had to share that. But anyway, I, I really have got to know so much about you as, as a person, as a leader. Um, I, I have the tremendous respect for you. I'm, I'm very appreciative that you are our chairman. And I don't know where we go from here. We've had our boss, we've had our boss's boss. And from here, I do not know who our next guest to top this. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> All downhill, right? We get the hard ones out of the way first. And actually, no, this has been great. Actually, I've learned a lot to make our future podcast hopefully even better. So I want to, I want to personally thank you. And I know Chris uh, has a few words to say as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. And just so you know, as our chairman, we do have plans to get Austin out of that closet. So <laughs> actually, uh, in, in, in all seriousness, we're still in, in obviously our infancy of the podcast and I think it was important for us to have someone who's had one experience with our podcast, but just the depth, the depth of background you bring uh, to our movement um, with your experiences from your personal experiences as your growth through the, the industry and the movement as you became your own leader, your growth as a, as a father, your growth as a coach, your growth watching your children grow up and succeed and move on. There's a lot of questions we probably didn't get to ask you that we probably write down and, may, and maybe we'll circle back with you and recander some of the stuff that we uh, uh, missed and, and also improve on as, as we move forward. So I definitely want to say on the behalf of our credit unions and our movement and our association, thank you for taking time and sitting with us today. We know you're awfully busy. We sincerely appreciate you and your team's efforts and what they give our movement and our credit unions and our, and our community. Chris and Austin, I, I appreciate those those kind words. Very gracious of you guys. Love the fact that you guys have, have decided to do this and to use what we said earlier, to be a thought leader. I think it's going to be an incredible opportunity for the Mountain West Credit Union Association and, and for you two in, in particular. You're gonna it's gonna lead you down a path to some really interesting conversations. But I, I'm really excited about the opportunity. You let us know anytime that you need us to to help you out. Um, we're still learning ourselves. You know, you guys can learn from our bumps and bruises as well, but thank you guys for caring so deeply about this. As Chris would say, our movement, we're going to teach everybody what the movement means. My brother. My God. And we, you know, we are, that is one of my goals. You know, I graduated from DE in 2013. And, and uh, one of the things that uh, I said is I wanted to put the cooperative principle number seven back in action, which is putting the co-op back in cooperative and teaching people what the movement means and how we interact with it. Let's go, coach. Come on now. Let's go. Let's do it. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. We appreciate you. Well, that's all for today's episode of In the Movement podcast. Thanks for listening. And thank you for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast listing app so you never miss an episode or visit us on Twitter at MWCUA.